a miracle is as simple as a shift in perception. So moving from seeing things through the lens of fear and negativity through seeing things through the lens of love and possibility. And more often than not, we operate in that lens of negativity, of fear, of judgment, of waiting for the shoe to drop. And I, that's how I was when I was drinking. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Amanda Kuda, alcohol-free lifestyle expert, intuitive coach, and mentor for ambitious, soulful women. Amanda helps leaders and entrepreneurs break up with booze so that they can break through to their best lives. Whether you're sober, curious, or already alcohol-free, you're in the right place because she has spent years mapping out all the stages of designing a high vibe, alcohol-free life and understanding the most common stumbling blocks to getting there. And her mission is to share her own unique approach with you. January will mark 17 months alcohol-free for me. And during this time, I've completely transformed my health around, which has been proven through my blood work. And I love that there are people out there like Amanda who are helping others potentially experience the same thing as me. Even if you aren't planning to cut out alcohol, during this episode, Amanda gives a lot of valuable insight into how to live a more abundant life, and I am stoked to start the year with a topic I know can help a lot of people. So please welcome to the show, Amanda Kuda. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode, and today I have Amanda Kuda with me, and I'm extremely excited for the topic that we are going to be conversing about Dry January is coming up and it's something, giving up alcohol is something that I'm about to be 17 months into it uh, and Amanda's about to be celebrating five years and it's something that I'm feeling compelled going into the new year to have a conversation about and maybe somebody else out there listening would be considering um, giving it up for January or beyond that. But before we get into all the good stuff, I would love to introduce Miss Amanda Kuda to the show. How are you doing today, Hello. Amanda? Hello. I'm so good, CJ. Thanks for having me here. Of course. So five years, well, it's been five years, going on six, mm-hmm. um, that you were mentioning before we jumped on here. One of the things I always like to learn about other people that are on this journey is what really inspired that in the first place? Because I think for a lot of people, it doesn't look the same first and foremost, but then also, like we were mentioning in my case, it doesn't always have to be some really drastic, hardcore thing. It could literally just be a few things that add up in life and you might want to try something new. And then that leads to giving it up for now six years. So I'd love for you to share your story and maybe it'll connect with somebody on the other end. Yeah. I mean, I think we both kind of gave up alcohol on accident for the long term, and which is really cool because I was never someone who had a problem with alcohol. I was just a on the weekends, social drinker totally hit it hard. A lot of the times, definitely a weekend warrior, but you know, I have addiction in my family. And so I had a clear comparison that I wasn't that, um, which is fine if you are, but I knew that I wasn't addicted to alcohol, but it honestly made it more difficult because there was no model for me to say, you need to quit drinking. No one was saying, Hey, maybe you should cut back everyone 
even my therapist, I said, Hey, I think, you know, I kind of want to cut back on drinking. And she kind of ran her model in the head. And she said, no, you could, you could just cut back. You're not an alcoholic. You don't need to do that. And so, you know, when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, I had just moved here to Austin and I had this aspiration that I wanted to step into this new, more adult version of my life. I kind of wanted to transition from being the party girl. I had just been introduced to kind of new age spirituality. So I was learning from teachers like Wayne Dyer and Marianne Williamson and Gabby Bernstein. And I'm like, wow, this stuff is rad. I want to live the life that these people are living but I didn't quite have in my head what needed to change to do that. So what I did, I compartmentalized during the week. I was a spiritual woman on a path, reading spiritual texts, doing journaling, meditation, all of the good, healthy things that you're taught to do when you're kind of trying to change your life. And then Friday at 5 p.m. on, I was just you know, hitting it hard with my friends. I was going out on the weekends, happy hour, boozy brunch, Sunday fun day, and I couldn't quite figure out, CJ, why all the spiritual stuff I was doing wasn't getting the results everyone was talking about. And I really fought it for the longest time thinking that, oh, well, maybe they're not telling me something or maybe I'm just broken and I'm doing something wrong. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany. What if alcohol is the factor that isn't kind of making the, that is kind of like screwing with the equation? And I didn't want that to be the case because one, I wasn't an alcoholic and two, this was my social lubricant. This was how I went from being an awkward high school girl to a person socializing. And so I just thought it was going to be brutal. If I gave up alcohol, people would think I was a weirdo. I wouldn't have any friends. I wouldn't be able to date. I wouldn't be able to go out. And so I tried for that not to be the solution for a long time. I tried to moderate that wasn't very easy for me, which we can definitely talk about. But I tried all these solutions and I kept coming back to, you need to change your relationship with alcohol. And literally one day I'm in the shower and I get this kind of spiritual download and the voice in my head literally says, Amanda, I see you doing big things in this world and I can't see you doing them with alcohol in the picture. And that was so profound. I fell to the floor in my shower. It was as if someone had punched me and I believed it. I believed whatever that message was. And I decided I'm not going to drink for a while. We'll see how long this lasts. I started with dry January, which is, you know, um, a super accessible way and socially acceptable way to take a break from alcohol, which made me feel a lot more comfortable. And then as I got to the end of that, I thought, you know, I feel like there's something to this. I'm going to keep going. So I went for 60 days, then 90 days, then six months, and then a year. And by the time I got to the end of that year, all of those other spiritual practices and personal development practices I was putting in place started to kind of click. And I realized that my life was not perfect without alcohol. There were still a lot of inefficiencies and suboptimal behaviors and thoughts that I needed to work through, but it was just easier. And everything that I had wanted had started to fall into place. And most importantly, I was happier. And I didn't realize how unhappy I was until I felt what real happiness felt like. And I kind of decided from that point forward that alcohol was just insignificant in my life and I didn't need it. And I was so much more badass and capable in my life without it that I was just going to keep going and see what happened. And yeah, it's been, I'm approaching, I stopped in January, 2017. So this is my, I guess I'm approaching my seventh dry January anniversary. If that math adds up, it's been a while. It's been a while. One of the words that stuck out to me in that, thank you for sharing, yeah, thanks. is the word insignificant, mm-hmm. how you realize that it was insignificant. How does alcohol 
in your eyes become significant in people's lives? Yeah. Because I'm such a solutions oriented person and root cause analysis type of person. Mm -hmm. From your journey and, and your past, how did it become a significant part of it to then lead you down the path of giving it up to realize it's actually insignificant? Yeah. Well, to that, I would kind of go back and relate to people who anyone on their, their alcohol journey, maybe someone who's listening will relate to this. I started drinking. I was probably a late bloomer in high school, maybe at 17, 18, when I finally decided to give in to kind of the drinking trend. I grew up in a super small town, so there wasn't a ton to do. And I was very shy. Um, I grew up in a single parent family, so we didn't have a lot of the resources that other kids around me who were athletes and kind of go-getters had, but I always was ambitious. So I was always participating in sports, you know, getting good grades, shooting for the stars. And I realized, I don't know that this is correct, but I thought that in order to fit in and be friends with these kids who are my peers that I needed to do what they were doing. And all of a sudden it went from sleepovers and innocent hangs to basement parties. And so I was kind of like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And when I drank alcohol for the first time, it was like this magical elixir that took away all of my insecurities, all of my, you know, I was a super gawky, tall girl. I didn't grow into my body until I got to college. So it just kind of took that stuff out of my mind. And I was able to have fun, cut loose, socialize, flirt with boys. And to me, it was a magical potion. And so I thought that it was helping me with all of these things. But the reality is it was just stunting my growth and keeping me from learning how to do those things on my own. And that was really profound when I realized that, you know, 10 years down the road, because one of the most popular books, at least for women in the past couple of years, has been this book, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And in it, she says something to the effect of alcohol is not your problem. It's your ineffective solution. And what I realized is that alcohol was my solution for dealing with uncomfortable emotions, dealing with uncomfortable social situations, keeping myself from being bored so that I'd contemplate things that were uncomfortable to contemplate. And I was using it as this band-aid across my life, even though I wasn't drinking to extremes, I wasn't drinking at an addiction level. I was a normal, casual social drinker. It was still stunting my growth in all of these areas because anytime there was a problem, I would subtly turn to alcohol, even when I was happy and excited to celebrate, I would turn to alcohol. And so it became this significant thing in all areas of my life, happy and sad. And when you are using the same thing to celebrate as you are using to commiserate and avoid your problems, I think that should be a red flag because that's giving one substance, one thing in your life, a lot of value. It's making the substance pretty godlike to say this one thing can cure all my problems and make me happier. That's a tall order. So as I started to kind of remove myself from the, the myth and the lore of alcohol that we've all been taught that it can do all of these magical things for you, I realized that no, it's just keeping me from being able to do it on my own because if alcohol actually helped me be more social, manage my emotions, then I get to the point where eventually I could do it without alcohol. And I just became more and more hooked on, on needing alcohol to perform those functions. And so it's, it's, it's something where the word celebration, mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I, I vividly remember this conversation I had with one of my buddies. And one of the reasons that I gave it up was I asked him, what the fuck are we celebrating? Yeah. I was like, I don't want to have my next drink 
until like I have a million dollars in my bank account. And I, I like, I just made a joke, yeah. but I was just like, I, I've been celebrating since I was 16 or 17 years old mm -hmm. every weekend as if I have something to celebrate yeah. and I just, I don't understand it. And if this is our way of what celebration is, I don't even want to live life because this isn't even the celebrations that I want to have. Like, no. so that it got, man, I just had vivid visualizations of that. And then also the first time I actually ever like got wasted <laughs> because you talk, you're talking about these things like social lubricant and uh, small town. I, I grew up in a small town. I still remember is uh, a bottle of absolute orange vodka. Oh, that was classy. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, I never touched absolute after that because it was not, it was a long night. Um, and then I woke up the next day like dry heaving and it was funny because my mm -hmm. parents, I knew my parents could tell, um, but there was something about like, oh, you're hiding and you're doing this mis mischievous yeah. stuff and whatever. So it is what it is, but I think the, the problem and we were talking about a little bit about this before we jumped on, um, is how people talk about the solutions. Cause you, you mentioned that it's an ineffective solution. And I think one of the things that I've noticed is everyone talks about like, okay, we're celebrating or what could it give us like the social lubrication, mm -hmm. um, what it helps us to do, but no one ever talks about what it takes away from you. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on my life and I think in specific moments of what did that take from me? I can then be fully aware of it, it took time. It took money. It took energy. Like, especially like if anyone's been hung over for a day, like th that's time. Yeah. That's your, your energy is so low and you're showing up as not somebody that you want to show up as. And it's something that I don't think holds enough weight. And I'd love for you to kind of describe in your life. Have you ever thought about like, cause this is the rabbit hole I always go down. It's like, who would I would have been if I, mm -hmm. if it didn't take, it took, it took, I definitely took weeks and months away from my life because yeah. let me break this down. So somebody on the other end of this can, can visualize this. Most people are like you go to the bar on a Friday or Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a couple hours on yeah. Friday, Saturday night. Right. But then you wake up the next day and you're a little bit slow mm -hmm. getting started. So like, let's just say it's like every time you go out to drink, like that's six hours. Mm -hmm. So three hours at night, three hours the next morning. Yep. Now you multiply that by every weekend. Mm -hmm. So let's do six times two. Let's yep. say you do Friday, Saturday, just like I did. That's 12 times four. Okay, we're at 48. That's 48 hours. That's a whole work week yeah. of time mm -hmm. that you're either at a bar or like hungover. Yeah. And that's what got me thinking like, man, if I had put my time into these other areas, this took X, Y, Z from me. Have you ever thought like that or thought about like what it would look like? Yeah. And you know, I think that first of all, I don't think that alcohol is bad, wrong or immoral, but, and I think that alcohol is a rite of passage. I think that I, it was a valuable tool to help me through a part where I didn't have any tools where no one had given me the skills and no one had given me the confidence. And honestly, I'm glad that I had those experiences because if it wouldn't have gotten to the point where I had a wonky relationship with alcohol, I don't think that I probably would have gone on to have a moderate relationship with alcohol all my life. And then I never would have gotten to the point where I gave it up, which skyrocketed my life forward. So I think that it was almost like, if you think about like a, um, what's that, that toy where you slingshot. slingshot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what's that thing? Um, you like pull the slingshot back. So it was like for years and years, I was pulling myself back, pulling myself back and creating this tension. And then once I removed the tension, boom, I went so far forward that I, 
can't imagine what my life would be like now. So even though I wasn't achieving what I could have achieved fully for that decade, and not that alcohol helped me achieve more, like that's, that is not true at all, but it created this, um, this dissonance between what my potential was and where I was pulling myself back to that when I had the opportunity to shoot forward to that potential, that the, my desire for it was so strong that I just went full force and I had all of this energy and all of this creativity and all of this passion that I'd been stunting for 10 years that I felt like I kind of became unstoppable and that felt really powerful. So yeah, I had a decade where I stunted my growth, stunted my potential, but then being able to compare where I was versus where I am now and how it feels to really feel good and really feel creative and really feel connected. I feel like that's a really cool juxtaposition that some people don't get if they just continue to drink or they've never drank. Maybe they'll never know what it feels like to hold themselves back and then have that really cool feeling of like rushing forward on their life trajectory. I don't know if you felt the same thing. Like, Yeah, I like your, I really like the rebuttal on that and your, and your viewpoint on friction creates frustration. Yeah. That's the way that I look at it. The friction of the alcohol being in my life and me being deep down, like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. It forces the frustration, which then if there's enough pain and frustration, it it makes people change. Yeah. And that change wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that initial friction uh, with it. But it's more so like when I look at the time, I'm obsessed with time Mm -hmm. because like, I just, think about death a lot. I'm just like, we're, we're not here for yeah. a long time. We are a blip on the radar of the existence of this universe. And I want to make the most of that time. And when I think about the times that I was drinking, especially I think coming from a male perspective, we don't open up as much about our feelings on mm-hmm. certain things. And we're really good at like hiding Mm-hmm. what the thought processes we have behind certain things. And like with alcohol, especially with my friends, it was like, okay, like who can drink the most yep. and like keep it together. together. Yeah. 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 And that was like one. So I think back to the certain unhealthy traits that I was just brewing over time. And I got to the point where it was like, I was proud of the fact that I'm 150 pounds mm-hmm. and like I can smash half a handle of whiskey. Yeah. And still wake up the next day and go to work and do all these things. And that's where it was just like, that's where I thought about the time. But when you flipped it back on, that did create a lot of friction in my life that I think inspired me to change. And then obviously has a ripple effect for other people. And Mm -hmm. I can't say, this is the thing about life. Like if I didn't have that friction, who would I be? I don't know. Like, would I be not me today? Like, so I love the response to that. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Amanda. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away 
into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back into the conversation with Amanda Kuda. I'd like to know, because I, I can only speak to the, the weeks, months, and now over a year of my experience, what it was like in the beginning. Because I think most people fear change, the initial change, mm-hmm. and what that's going to be like. And are they going to struggle? Are they going to like go back to it? what are some of the things that are going to happen? Um, what are some of the pressure and pain points? Like for me, it was like going to bachelor parties and weddings and guys looking at you like, you're really not going to take a shot with me for yeah. my, for my wedding. This oh, happens yeah. one time because they knew the old me. Uh-huh. So for you, what was that? What was that journey like in the, in the very beginning? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I had a special circumstance because I had just moved to Austin. So I had a year that I had invested in creating new relationships. But I will tell you that I don't think CJ, if I would have tried to do this back when I lived in Missouri still, and I had five, 10 years of relationships that I built up, I don't know that I would have been as brave as you to rip off the bandaid and and really shift into a new way of being. So I had the benefit that I had only invested a year into these relationships. And even though I ran the story in my head, like the likelihood is that a lot of these relationships aren't going to make it. And they're still so new. If I made new friends once I can make them again. And I live in a much bigger city now. So I'm going to find my people. I know they're out there. Again, I was in this spiritual practice where I trusted that the universe had my back and everything was working out the way it was working out because that's how it was supposed to be. So I had a little bit of a different runway where I was able to truly trust and believe that I would find new people if these people couldn't come with me on my journey. But I think as someone who had initially started drinking alcohol to fit in, that was really hard to rub up against, you know, what are people going to think of me? Are they going to think that I'm a loser? Are they going to talk behind my back? Are they going to stop inviting me out? And the reality is if that happens with your friends, then your friends probably suck lovingly, right? (laughs) You know, they aren't your friends, right? They're not your friends or, and, or let me be more generous that people judge you because what you're doing makes them question their behavior and makes them uncomfortable. So even though no one would say it, my abstinence caused people to think, well, if Amanda used to be like us and now she's not doing this thing, even though she's not saying she's judging us or making us wrong because of our decision to drink, there's something in me that questions, should I quit drinking too? And because that thought is so scary, they withdraw, right? Or they peer pressure you. And so maybe it's not that your friends suck or they're bad people or they're not really your friends. They just don't know how to grapple with this idea of discomfort of you doing something different that ultimately kind of reflects back to them a mirror of discomfort. And so let's be generous. Let's say they don't suck, but they just don't know how to handle discomfort. You're good at this. I like this. Hey, it's all like playing off of someone else who... Who asks a good question? So, you know, I, a lot of my friendships did start to fade into the background, but it happened really organically. There wasn't any big blow up. There wasn't like, you know, any like real housewives situation where there's like words being thrown and tables being flipped over. It was just like, hey, I stopped spending time with these people. And wouldn't you know it, that as I started to shift in who I was as a person and I showed up differently, I was attracting different types of people into my life. So, you know, we were sharing that we have a lot of um, 
friends on our periphery in common. And these cool people just came into my life like magic. And I can't explain how a lot of it happened. It was just people showed up and we were attracted to each other um, as friends. And I started to get these new friendships. So that was one piece that there was a little bit of a lull and a piece of discomfort of how am I going to navigate this? Am I Am I going to feel lonely? Am I going to feel like an outcast? Am I going to feel like that awkward 17-year-old girl that started drinking all those years ago? And yeah, I did a lot. And I just had to trust whatever it was inside of me that said, keep going. And everything worked out. And I picked up a lot of tools and mindsets and tips and tricks on how to navigate that along the way. So there was a social aspect. But then I think the surprise aspect was the emotional piece because I didn't realize, even though I was only drinking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, how much alcohol had been an emotional buffer for me and had kept me from really having the time or the need to feel some really deep, uncomfortable emotions. And when I wasn't killing it on the social scene or spending a lot of time drinking or hungover, all of a sudden, all of these emotions started coming to the surface. And that I think is the uncomfortable part that sneaks up on people is because most of us don't have the tools to know how to handle not only extreme negative emotions like grief and pain and heartbreak and anger and frustration and judgment, but we also don't have the tools to handle really high vibe emotions like joy and happiness, which is kind of messed up. So I had all of these emotions that were coming online for me that had kind of been doled down and I didn't know what to do with them. And I think navigating that was probably the most difficult and usually in my work, the part that trips people up the most because they just want a quick fix from those feelings that they don't know how to feel. So yeah, learning how hence, to feel feelings is important. Happy hour. We'd never give ourselves enough time to even learn the tools. That that was the thing that stood out to me the most, especially when I worked in the corporate world was when you're working 40 or 50 hours a week, you get to Friday and most people, it's not like they're openly thinking, I need to go to happy hour to get a drink to get drunk. Mm-hmm they're just filling a void because they're just like, I don't even know what I should be doing right now. Yeah. And no one's ever asked them, like, you just had a really long week. Like, what would be enjoyable to mm-hmm. you? Like, that's just not, it was, wasn't a yeah. thing. It was just like, all right, where are we getting food and where are we getting our next drink at? And yeah. like once Friday at four or 5 PM rolled around and it's just so ingrained in us. Cause even like, like some of the words that I hear when you say it, it's like, it was the same way for me. I would only drink Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the most part. But then I think, would you only eat donuts Friday, Saturday? Like if someone ate donuts Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'd be like, you have a problem. Yes. Like you shouldn't be eating that many donuts. Yeah. But if I say alcohol, it's like, eh, it's not, it's not, I don't really have that much of a problem. And then you like, when you think back, you're just like, okay, what the actual problem, I like how you hit on this was just, especially in my case was how to handle your emotions. Like mm-hmm. what do you, for me, it was like emotionally feeling like I, just like you, I have this bigger calling. It's not I, when I grew up on the East coast, it's not here on the East coast. Mm-hmm. This is not where I want to be. This isn't an environment I want to be yep. in. This is not the people I want to be around. And that was my biggest struggle because it wasn't like I wanted to be like, Hey, you guys aren't good enough for me. Yeah. Like it's not what I thought. I thought in my head, I was like, I wasn't good enough for myself. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go figure that out. And this is why I love the city is because it brings what I have found is it draws so many people that have that same mindset of, I just want what's best for myself. And then they come to the conclusion of, I mean, most of my friends today, that's the beauty of here in Austin is when I stopped, most of my friends sporadically drink, if at all. And none of them are like, oh, you don't like, it's not a weird thing that I don't drink because 
they're at the gym on Saturday at Saturday morning mm-hmm. with me as well. So they're like, I kind of get this. I like going to bed early too and like feeling rejuvenated and putting all my energy into all the other stuff that I have going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I touch on that is anybody listening to this, and this is where you're creating groups around like dry January is trying things with other people is vitally important because mm-hmm. then you can be held accountable and more importantly, be vulnerable to what you're actually struggling with. And I found that to be super helpful to just be around people that when I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to go a year. Yeah. No one was like, oh my God, like why? Yeah. There wasn't um, any big yeah, drama there was around no it. Big drama around it. And I mean, I think half of that is fear because we, we fear things that aren't necessarily reality, but you mentioned the word spiritual a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested because everybody has a different take mm-hmm. on what spiritual means to them. So yeah. when you were really digging into, okay, I'm potentially going to give up alcohol. You were mentioning how like your spirituality was taking precedence mm-hmm. t- for you to, to give alcohol up. What did that look like? What, when you say spiritual, what, what were you practicing then? What does your day look like now in terms of spirituality? So that way maybe somebody on the other end could hear it and connect with it. Yeah. You know, I think that ultimately for me, I grew up in the Midwest. So I grew up in the Bible belt where it was like very strict Christian roots and not necessarily in my family, but that's what I was surrounded with. So I always had this perception of what religion and spirituality was. It always felt like a little off. So when I was introduced to this concept of having a spiritual connection with a higher power of your own understanding, whatever you choose for that to be, it really started to resonate. And I was looking at people who just seem to have this sense of peace and ease and fulfillment in their life where I felt all this inner turmoil before I was super high achieving, but also extremely anxious, not depressed, but not necessarily happy and feeling like everything was an uphill battle. Like I had to fight and really, really put in a lot of effort and I'm a hard worker, so I'm willing to do that. But I always just felt like I was like running on a treadmill full speed, but not getting any distance, you know? And so I just wanted this sense of peace, this sense of something is supporting me and I don't always have to support myself. Like I'm going to show up for myself, but there's always something, some entity, whatever you want to call it, watching over me and moving the chess pieces in my favor. And I couldn't quite get it that when I was drinking, because there was something blocking the way that that would make sense. And I always kind of explain it like we're all spiritual beings. We're human beings on a spiritual or spiritual beings on a human journey. And you're always connected to that spiritual power, whatever it is, no matter what you believe, there's always something, even if you just want to call it your own inner guidance system or intuition, but I couldn't even tap into that because I was always just a little bit fuzzy. So it's like you have like a 1990s flip phone and you're in a tunnel, you're not going to get great reception. But if you go out of the tunnel and you get next to a cell phone tower and maybe upgrade your cell phone, you're going to have a really clear signal and connection. And that's what I wanted for. I wanted that clear connection. And it wasn't until alcohol was out of the picture that I really could get that. And now I feel what all the spiritual teachers that I read from were talking about, which is this sense of peace and ease and connection and kind of like know-how and intuition, I guess, that is just always there and available to me. And before I felt lost and not even in like a desperate way, but it just wasn't living. I can connect with that. I felt foggy a lot of the time. Yeah. And describe that for somebody. And I I also connect with the anxiety. I didn't know what that was when I was younger. I just all up thinking Mm -hmm. all the time. Yep. 
And when you're younger, I don't really think you understand how to harness that power Mm -mm. because I was striving to be a scholar athlete. I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be all these things, which is great. But the cost of that was just like, I was always overthinking and overanalyzing everything, which created anxiety, which was not spoken about. Right. How did I handle that anxiety? That ineffective solution, like Mm -hmm. you were saying, which is alcohol. Now, most people never connect those dots because they're just in environments where if you say spirituality, they just, we weren't given permission. That's the word that comes to mind for me to define it for ourselves. Yeah, same. That's where I can't speak to growing up where you grew up, but on the East Coast, it was like very refined. You're Catholic, you're Mm -hmm. this, you're that. Meditation wasn't a thing. Going to yoga wasn't a thing. Like none of of the stuff that I've imported and implemented into my life these days was just not spoken about, Um, especially from a male perspective. And it's enlightening to hear other people and their journeys towards believing in something bigger than themselves. And for me, I think what comes to mind, I don't know if you've ever read Naval Ravikant um, or you know who that is, Mm -hmm. but he talks about how happiness is peace in motion. Yeah. And most people are seeking happiness when the reality is almost all of us should just be trying to find whatever that peace is for us. Yep. Like the reason being is like, one, I'm a very big metrics guy. It's funny. We met at the How Do You Health Fest and we were, mm-hmm. I literally was on a panel talking about sleep and metrics. Yeah. But one of the ways to tell if someone is not at peace is just like look at their heart rate. Mm-hmm. Because if their heart rate is elevated, something is stressing them out. Happiness is a little bit more subjective, mm-hmm. especially because there's no there, there's levels to the happiness. But when a good example is when you're on an airplane Mm -hmm. and there's a crying baby next to you, like it's kind of hard to be at peace when there's this thing that's like extremely loud and you're not used to it and your, your heart rate's a little elevated. It's causing a little bit of stress. So the better baseline is, is finding the peace, but that's also a little bit subjective to most people. What Mm -hmm. brings them peace? So that's where, okay, you went through this year. What has allowed you to remain in that peaceful state? now you're six years in because mm-hmm. over the course of those years, it's not, it's not easy. Like we're, we're sitting here talking like hey, every day is great. And yeah. we're just super happy. I know that's not the case, but what are some, I guess to make it a little bit more clear, what daily things, what mm-hmm. practical things are you doing to maintain that level of peace, which then gives you the ability, the more peaceful you are, I'm a big believer in, if you're more peaceful, you open yourself up to opportunity to be happier more mm-hmm. times out of the day than not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me clarify then. So I, you know, I tried everything and there's all these spiritual tools. There's no one right way to spiritual, right? So I just want to be clear with that. This is what's worked for me. Um, I'm a student of a metaphysical text called A Course in Miracles. And the course teaches that a miracle is as simple as a shift in perception. So moving from seeing things through the lens of fear and negativity through seeing things through the lens of love and possibility. And more often than not, we operate in that lens of negativity, of fear, of judgment, of waiting for the shoe to drop. And I, that's how I was when I was drinking. And so one of my practices is really having this sense of surrender and prayer. I think that's my biggest practice. I either pray aloud or to myself, or I have a journaling prayer practice where I will write down my prayers to, you know, I say the universe or spirit or God, whatever feels good for you. And I just, I'm frequently asking to receive a miracle. Listen, spirit, I'm seeing things in this one way. 
and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel healthy. So let's say I have a person in my life who I'm judging. Like it doesn't feel good. It creates chaos in my body to feel judgment. And while there's some sense of satisfaction and like being right and that other person being wrong, it doesn't freaking feel good. And so I don't know how to get myself out of that spiral all the time. And so I will say, universe, help me to see the good, the innocence, the beauty in this person. And this has been a huge practice because I am gaining tools to learn how to shift my mindset on my own, but turning, having this ability to say, I don't have to do it all by myself. I can turn it over to a spiritual being of my own understanding outside of my physical sight, and it'll be taken care of. And I can tell you, CJ, more often than not, I will have a profound experience. So I'll give you an example from early on in my sobriety when I was really struggling with these friendships. And I had three specific friends in my friend group who I just knew that they were going to be judgmental, unaccepting, not cool with the fact that I had quit drinking because they were pretty set in this drinking culture. And I intently went to my prayer journal and I said and wrote a prayer about releasing my perception about these three individuals and opening myself up to a miracle in these relationships. Not that I wanted them to suddenly be my best friends, but I just didn't want to feel this tension that I felt towards them. And I'll be damned if those three specific individuals didn't each go out of their way to make me feel comfortable in my lifestyle. So one of them, I guess, overheard at a pool, someone talking about giving up alcohol and they're like, Oh my God, um, I overheard you. And I just want to let you know, my friend Amanda is like kicking ass at this. She would, you should follow her on Instagram, like went out of her way to do this. Another one was always throwing parties and she would go out of her way to make sure there was sparkling water or something there for me. And the, the third one was just always sending me articles about different mocktails or sobriety trends that were coming on. And I thought, wow, that's really cool that the three people who I thought were going to be the most judgmental are actually turning out to be, even though they're not changing their drinking, they're advocates, they're supporting me. And that was just like a little wink from the universe for me that I was supported and I didn't have to sit in judgment and fear of these people. And that happens all the time to me because I ask for it. I expect it. I expect miracles to happen in my life. And I could give you a laundry list. We could do a whole nother two hours of all the miracles that have been available to me now that I don't drink and that I actively tap into that spiritual connection. Not that first of all, that drinking is unspiritual or you're like cosmically fucked. If you drink, like you're always being supported, but I just have had a more profound level of that support since I stopped drinking. It's just really cool to watch those experiences come to life. So prayer, and then I do meditate. I'm not the greatest meditator, so I have to do guided almost all the time. Um, I love a guided meditation, breath work and journaling. And then of course, like reading and reading spiritual texts or listening to spiritual lectures are things that help me in that, that journey. But really the prayer practice has been probably the most helpful. How did you initially get involved? Because I think I have an audience that one likes to try new things mm -hmm. and do new things. And there's always really good advice in, if we can think back to like the initial, like mm -hmm. there was this podcast or there was this book, or I bumped into this person. It, it sheds light on one. It's messy. Yeah. Like we don't have it all figured out, but two, it also helps build that confidence for that other person. Like, okay, I could do this too. Mm -hmm. So I remember this moment. Exactly. I was working with kind of a wellness 
guru back home. And I really, really respected him. He was quite a bit older and just really had this like sage wisdom to him. And he told me one day in one of our sessions, he said, you know, Amanda, I read this book that changed my life. After I read it, everything started to shift. And I was like, yeah, I want that. Whatever it is, I want it. And the book was Dr. Wayne Dyer's The Power of Intention. And I went home immediately and downloaded it on my Kindle. And this is before I had quit drinking or anything, remember? So I read this book, which is simple, but at that time, it the concepts were so mind-blowing. It took me weeks to read it because I had to keep going back and rereading things. And Yet that book led me to, I looked up Dr. Wayne Dyer and he was on Oprah Super Soul Sunday. So I start watching Oprah Super Soul Sunday and kind of go down this rabbit hole of all of these new age spiritual experts. And it all just made sense to me all of a sudden. And I hadn't ever been, I mean, I knew who Oprah was obviously, but I would not have, if I wouldn't have been in that moment and been willing to receive this random book recommendation he made. I would not have picked up that book and read it and gone down this huge rabbit hole. So that's the book that I started with. I don't know if I would recommend that necessarily as a starting point because it is a little higher level. Um, But I think it's still Dr. Wayne Dyer is he's passed on, but he's an amazing spiritual teacher and his concepts are super accessible. But there are so many, I mean, podcasts and spiritual people who teach out there that I think just find something that like tugs at your heart a little bit. And just go down a rabbit hole and see where that leads you to miracles. Yeah. That's yeah. like the, tying back to the, what you were talking about miracles. Uh, Steve jobs has a, has a saying, like we can only connect the dots going backwards. Mm-hmm. Like we can't connect the dots going f- forwards. You no. don't know the future, Yeah, but you have to believe like, so if I connect the dots and I'm thinking of miracles, like that book for you is a miracle, yeah. but you don't know in that moment that this book is going to be a miracle mm-hmm. for me because you lean into reading the book, but then you took, the next steps of building momentum and watching Oprah and then mm-hmm. the next steps and the next steps. And then you look back, you're just like, Oh, there was, I have to be receptive to there's miracles coming because there's already miracles that have happened. Yeah. And the fog that you're, that we were describing with the alcohol, I think dulls the ability to see those and mm-hmm. to be open to the opportunities that are around us. It kind of closes us off a little bit, at least that from my experience, that's when, when I, when I think back, it closed me off to believing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think going back to the innocence of being a child, it takes away a little bit of our innocence and our belief and our hope and our dreams. And I don't think I've ever heard the word miracle on this podcast. So it's really cool. Having been I think this is going to be episode like 227 or something. So like being so far into this game and like hearing that is, is very, um, fun. Yeah. Well, and I like, just as you just said, CJ, just looking back in your life and seeing in hindsight, those miracle moments that took you from one path and shifted you onto the next one that turned out to be so much more profound and amazing than you could have expected. Like, how did I know that listening to this old man in his, you know, his office is like ducked out with like feathers and crystals and all of these (laughs) things. Like, how did I know that listening and you know, going, I went in for a massage treatment, doing that, reading this book would, it fully shifted the trajectory of my life. I could have stayed on that path and I would have been at a fine job. We were talking about this before. Like I would have had health insurance and benefits and, (laughs) you know, whatever, a stable job, or I could be on the path that I'm on now, which is I work for myself. I'm doing something I'm passionate about. I am fulfilling 
my freaking childhood dream to write a book and I got a book deal. Like someone is paying me to do it. That wasn't available to me on this other path because I had my blinders on. I was going in one direction and there was a whole nother life that existed for me, but I just had to take the initiative when it was kind of flirted in yeah, front who, of me. Who wants to be fine when you could be fucking fantastic? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that that's, that's how I kind of go about it. That's where thrive, thrive on life, all that stuff. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. Yes. I don't want to just be fine. Yeah. I want to be fantastic. So let's let's kick it into a new gear. I want to learn a little bit about what you're up to today. You mentioned you're writing a book, but the immediate future is dry January. I'd love for you to just talk about what it is that you're building today and, and what type of person that is for. So anybody that's listening to this, if they want to get involved, uh, they can do so. Yeah, thank you. So dry January is kind of a phenomenon. I hadn't heard about it until five or six years ago, but it's been around for a while. And it's this idea that you start off the year by doing a month off of alcohol. And so that's what started me on my journey. So it holds a special place in my heart. So every year I run a program and this year I'm running um, my challenge. It's called the Unbottled Potential Dry January Challenge. And it's because my philosophy is that for me, taking alcohol out of the picture completely opened up my world to a new level of potential in every area of my life, my spiritual relationship, my friendships, my romantic relationships, my career. And so this has just been a springboard for me into different magnificent ways of thriving. And so every January, I run this challenge where I lead people through five weeks of abstinence, but not only abstaining from alcohol, because anyone can do that. You can do that. But actually taking that and using it as this pathway to open up to different pieces of your actualized potential in your life. So I offer tools and mindset shifts. And I would love for anyone who's kind of considering, hey, yeah, I'm definitely going to do dry January. Why not have these extra tools at your hands from someone who's been doing it for five years? Um, or if this is the first time you're hearing about dry January and you're thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe I'll do that. Um, I would love to be kind of a guide and a cheerleader. I'm just so passionate about waking people up to the possibility that's available to them when they're fully showing up and fully living in their full heart and their full mind. And I think being alcohol free is the fastest way to do that. How many years have you been doing it? So this is my, I started in 2017 and I did my first, I hosted my first group in 2018 then. So this will be, be my sixth. Five. Yeah. Well, five? 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, okay. 23, yeah, six. Wow. My sixth year. I can count. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's I like don't do. always confusing when you're the, the actual year that you're counting. Yeah. And when then you're like into forward. it. Okay. So this will be six years. What, what has been some of the inspirational stories that have come from this? Have there been people yeah. that have like gone on to do like really cool things? So I also do a lot of in my spiritual practice work with manifestation, which we it's a bigger concept, but I believe that when you show up for yourself, more miracles will show up for you. So I've had people, um, a lot of people quit their jobs and start their own business, get promoted in their job, get a new job, a lot of really great professional accomplishments, people who have, you know, started, I, I will say it's, it's a tall order to think 30 days is going to change your life, but that 30 days compounded, mm -hmm. you know, it can absolutely yeah. change your life. So I wouldn't say expect for your life to change in dry January, but if you commit to it and then you keep doing things to better your life, um, people finding their partner, people calling in massive windfalls, be that amounts of money or a new home, just people's lives changing for the better in every respect, getting over um, another thing, just like chronic health conditions that alcohol is not helping with in any way. I can't speak to 
anything in their lives that hasn't been better without alcohol out of the picture for, for all of my clients and students. So if you are looking to step more fully into your career or a passion, or you want to leave a dead end job, this is going to be one of the fastest ways to do that. If you want better relationships with a romantic partner or your friendships, showing up fully and just being the most authentic version of you is the best way to achieve all of those things, in my opinion. Facts right there. Yeah. Yeah. The For me, I think a lot of the fog was where am I failing in, in my relationship yeah. with my wife? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that stems always and ultimately with the relationship I have with myself. So if I'm failing at the relationship with myself, then I'm going to fail with relationships that are the most important for me. And like alcohol was a vice in, in that case yeah. um, where I just wasn't showing up as the best person that I could potentially be totally. for the person that means the most to me. So somebody else that's out there, if you're really, I think that's what I, I really like to advocate. And when I work with a lot of other men is just like, how it, how is this substance helping you be the father, the husband? And mm-hmm. when people reflect on that and realize that it, it doesn't really serve that purpose. Yeah. Um, and they could start filling that time with other things that could serve that purpose. They're a little bit more open to like, okay, I could do 30 days and just see like yeah. how I feel, what, what it's like. And then having a little bit more control over themselves, their emotions and everything that they're, they're, they're working towards outside of dry January. What is your, I guess your mojo, what are you doing working on? Feel free to speak about the book. Um, yeah. but I'm always trying to connect other people through the podcast with the guests that I bring on here and mm-hmm. potentially there's somebody out there. It could be your client, a new best friend, a new business partner. And this is one of the vehicles that I use that has been really good to do that. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. You know, as I said, I'm just passionate about helping people wake up to their potential. Like now more than ever in this world right now, the world needs you awake. We need you operating at your highest capacity. And if you have a shit relationship with alcohol or even a moderate relationship with alcohol, I guarantee on some level you're not doing that because you're just not. And I have, I've looked at this thing and this, how it affects all aspects of our lives every which way you can. And so I really teach kind of a more holistic mindset approach to being alcohol free. And I love working with women one-on-one. I'm doing a little less of that in 2023 because as you said, I have, um, I got a book deal with Avery, one of the, um, it's a division of Penguin Random House. So one of the top five publishers in the world, which is a childhood dream of mine. It's so fucking cool. Writing a book is a spiritual process in itself. (laughs) And um, I'm on the tail end of that process. The book comes out in October, 2023. So I'm going to be ramping up and doing a ton of programs throughout the year just to build community around, I call it elective sobriety or just deciding to be sober. And so I'm going to be doing something, no matter when you're listening to this, there will be something really rad that I'm doing to bring together community and bring people into their potential and offering different resources around all of the areas in which alcohol has stunted your growth and just helping you kind of get up to speed in your life. So I'd love to connect with anyone just to jam or be friends or whatever. I'm on Instagram at Amanda Kuda and that's where I hang out and just love to share all my thoughts and feelings and experiences. I love it. What do you have a title for the book yet? Yeah, I do. It's called unbottled potential and the subtitle is break up with alcohol and breakthrough to your best life. Wow. Got me all inspired. I'm like in my feels because Noah who he's not here right now. He just flew out today. But, uh, for those listening, this is probably the last episode that I will be hosting in, uh, the second room. We know when I have an apartment, uh, he, he lives here and then the podcast is in the other room and he's writing his second book right now. And then, so I'm a big believer in, uh, it's like been like peppered two, into two, your life. Like huh? this is the second like little uh yeah, and 
I think uh, actually, no, there is three. Kevin De Bruin is writing a book as well. So that's three. I'm like, I've really the past couple years been putting off that. Um, because like you said, I'm, I believe that's a spiritual thing as well. And it just didn't, for me, it didn't feel, it just hasn't felt right mm -hmm. yet. And, but I think one of the things that my wife is pregnant and we're expecting our first, it's one of those, I'm starting to get closer to, I think it's the right time for me to yeah. write something. Like I, I feel that I have something to, to bring to the world and even more so it's, it's been a dream of mine. Yeah. I, I love books and I love the ability to potentially help somebody else out there reach their potential as well. So I yeah. love that that's the the title of the book. And I love that that's the direction we're going in. You're such a light. This is, for those listening, this is the first real conversation, like not conversation I've had with you, but the first like in-depth conversation I've had. And it's just, I'm so blessed to to hang around people like yourself and, and people doing really good work in this world. But we always wrap this podcast up uh, in a similar way. You already had mentioned, but could you say it again, where people can best reach you and connect with you at? Yeah, I am everywhere on the internet at Amanda Kuda, but most frequently on Instagram. So that's where I do all of my pontificating and sharing of my life and would love to connect with anyone who just feels called or curious or just wants to lurk around a little bit. Heck Yeah. Last question that we ask everybody here on the show is if I were to ask you what thriving means to you, how to define mm -hmm. that word, mm -hmm. what would your response be? Yeah. So it means being willing and being brave and being curious to step out of good enough. And so many of us are on the path of good enough, of mediocre, of mundane, and it takes a lot to accept that you are meant for more, that you are meant to thrive, that you are meant to live your biggest and boldest and most potentially actualized life. Like that takes a lot because we have an ego that says that we should be quiet or we should play small or we shouldn't want for more than what we have. There's so many people with less. And yet the potential you have to flow over and benefit others and impact other people's lives positively, if you shoot for thriving versus just surviving or good enough is so amazing and so big that I want everyone to go for that. I want everyone to thrive because yeah, you could settle for good enough and that will be fine and you'll, you'll survive your entire life, but there's something more for everyone and you're, you're meant for that. You're owed it. It's your birthright. And I just can't express how magnificent it is when you finally get to that point where you're actually on the trajectory of your truest potential. It's just really rad and really fun. And people deserve to see that version of you. I absolutely love that response. The more water that you have, the less thirsty the whole village will be. Yes. Amen. Uh, Strive together, thrive together is one of our, it's the saying that I came up with for, for thrive. And it's literally what you just said. So I just appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on here. And at the very end, I was kind of shed a little bit of a light on what I think the biggest takeaway for me was from this episode. And I keep coming back to that word insignificant. And mm -hmm. I think the reason I'm coming back to it is for this discussion and around alcohol and, and other substances, it for me created a jaded view on what was significant in my life and what was insignificant. It didn't allow me to decipher the things that really should have mattered to me versus the things that didn't. And as soon as I like took that filter away, I started being able to see clearly on what actually matters, what is insignificant in my life and what is significant and what needs to be worked on and spent time 
doing money, time, money, energy on. And that's what I want to convey to other people out there. So again, thank you so much for this conversation. It was really enlightening. I can't wait to to read your book and, and share it with the world earlier in late 2023, early 2024. We'll have to have you back on and have another discussion when the time comes. But this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Best thing that you can do for Amanda and I is if you love this episode, please reach out to her and let her know. Connect with her. If you'd love to participate in dry January or know a friend that would love to as well, reach out to her. Give me that five-star rating review. That'll help this get into more ears out there in the world. Until next time, this is CJ Finley. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.